You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. Coming at you live. Turn your speakers up to the Forging Fury. Forging, Forging Fury. Fury podcast. Hola, bienvenidos a mi podcast. Está un podcast bilingual. <laughs> What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley, and alongside my best friend today, we are interviewing two really cool folks, and they happen to be married. This is uh, Jordan Leonard and Tracy Burns are actually sitting in their kitchen in their house, so they were so awesome to let us come by. So Socially distanced, of course. Yeah, we have about six feet. A, yeah, six feet between all of us, so this we should be- at least be, an eight-foot table. And we're all say. wearing masks. Just kidding, we're not. Why do you got to lie, man? <laughs> I, did, I said that on the last podcast. What if people did podcasts with masks on? You're so <laughs> I don't think that would be good. Do you think we'll ever get rid of the mask? Okay, brief history. But before we go any further, Jordan's a doctor. Tracy's in the uh, medical field, midwife, midwife, modern day midwife. You've probably heard about her. She was. A, they've both been on episodes here. So if you don't know them, go back and listen to some episodes. But Jordan's been on twice. Yes. he's. But a, we got Tracy first. So True. This is her second time, Jordan's third time. Is masks the new normal? I think masks the new normal. I think no handshakes are the new normal. How long does the new normal last? Or does the new normal mean forever? That's the new normal. I think, you know, we'll probably get to the point where this is going to go, you know, definitely through the fall and winter. So, you know, maybe if we're lucky with vaccines and stuff by next spring, summer, things may may start to open up a then little bit. we can shake each other's hand again without fear? I'm a hugger, so I'm good with no shaking hands. I honestly, some oh, wait, of these things, worse. some of these social distancing measures, I've been happy with. Like at the grocery store, don't roll up on me. Like give me some distance <laughs> between me and my groceries. Wash down the uh, conveyor belt every time. Like some of these things, let's just be honest, they needed to be done anyways. At the airport, don't get too close to me. I, don't I can't wanna... get used to the one-way lanes though at the at the grocery store. Do you follow them? No. I, no, I walked down and then like Ryan was with me the other day and we like, we turned around and like, well, we'll just back down this way so yeah. that we can... Nine times out of ten, I don't even pay attention. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I think I went the wrong way. Tracy, do you have any grocery store etiquette? Do you follow the lanes? I try to, but I'm half of the time oblivious. So I don't. I don't. I go wrong way. Sorry. I'm, if I'm going to wear a mask, I'm going to roll, like, you know, go on the road whichever way I want. Yeah. What if the, you know, almond butter is like two steps in, but you got to go all the way around? I mean, come on. I will. I will say one thing. I was going in the wrong direction, but it was to help this old lady get this juice off the top counter. Oh, nice excuse. She was That's like, excusable. I mean, she was hobbled. Like, I, why? who let her in here? Was First of all, it was like an old lady at a club. I'm like, she is too old to be here by herself. <laughs> what is she doing? But, so, so how long has it been since the Ducey closed down the gym again? Has it been a, two weeks? The, today is the 11th, so... Yeah, I would say it was the 27th of June. So the day after that happened, I went to the grocery store and I think I had Morgan with me and we were walking down the frozen pizza aisle and there was a lady there with her daughter and she didn't have a mask on. Neither of them did. And like people came up on us and were like yelling at her and me and Morgan were like backing out of the aisle because they were getting like nasty wow. with her. I've seen some videos on, on Instagram of just shaming of people not wearing masks. And I'm for it, dude. Wear the mask. Do what you can. You're, you're for shaming people. No, 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 no. Not for shaming. Well, yeah. Well, that's effective. Sometimes shaming is effective. 
You say what you want about it. Have it you, gets shit done sometimes. Have you ever read Brene Brown's books? I have, actually. <laughs> uh, which one is uh, Courage to Lead? No, no. Something Brave? Braving the Wilderness. I no. Courage to Lead, is that one I heard? Yeah, we, we can tell you're a big fan. <laughs> Brene Brown, yeah, I've read some of her work. Okay. But it does work sometimes. Okay, I don't disagree that we should be wearing masks and that we should be following rules, but attacking a woman and her child in the grocery store, like, let's let the law keep enforcing the law who's in enforcing the mask law though I, is it us is, is it anyone, our responsibility though, like, yeah i don't know who's the mask police i don't i mean i feel costco yeah. costco, costco. Enforces it. they yeah, are vicious but, yeah i think her name is karen who <laughs> pretty sure there's a bunch of those oh uh, yeah it's out there so uh, here's my thing with that okay i'm i'm with riley like anytime someone says you need to wear a mask in my establishment i'll do it yeah but on some level too like if i'm 10, 20 feet away from people the whole time. I, I'm not that bothered. Like if someone comes up without a mask and is like talking close to me, I'd be like, all right, back off a little bit. But isn't social distancing, isn't that the number one thing? Or is masks now the number one thing? See, the goalposts keep moving, so I don't know what I mean, is most important. I'm not trying to quote, there's so many different people making commentary on this, but my my basic understanding is that it's not any one thing that's going to protect us from COVID. It's a multi, like it's using all of these things, hand hygiene, wearing a mask, social distancing while you can, keeping your immune system up. There are a lot of things. Uh, I don't think there's a one thing that's going to keep you from getting COVID. Right. Yeah. I think it depends on what the route of transmission is. So, you know, when they thought that it was all just droplet, so large particle transmission, so you sneeze, you get these large droplets, but they essentially then, you know, fall to the ground at some period of time, that that's why you needed the six foot distance. Right. If it's truly aerosolized, where it's on these micro particles that can stay in the air for hours, then social distancing is less effective. Is because, that what they're saying it is now? Well, that's that's the concern. The concern is that, that they now think that it's more aerosolized transmission than it is, you know, truly what about just droplet. What about people who say that the masks don't effectively actually block the COVID virus? So, Well, like, if it's truly airborne, a regular cloth mask is not going to be a very effective means of protecting you from this. I saw this. a video with Bill Nye talking about wearing a mask and like that's the highest level of you know, <laughs> science. He is the science guy. <laughs> so sure. what more reliable source of knowledge do you need? If Bill Nye says it, I'm doing it. He says wear it. Yeah. He was <laughs> I, I like Bill Nye. <laughs> she's, she's saying it wouldn't necessarily work if it's aerosolized anyway. I think that when a lot of the research was going on, we were doing it under the assumption that this was droplet. I don't think that there's any great literature out there, though, that says that it's airborne at this point. But you have to think of it in the context of what you're doing, right? Um, if it is a droplet disease process and you are singing, screaming, you know, coaching, uh, coaching in a gym, Protesting. Uh, breathing hard, coughing, it's now an aerosolizing procedure, right? So <laughs> you, I, I think it's going to be really hard for us at this point anyway to, to determine which one it is. I would say when in doubt, just wear it. And then I was in Sprouts and people aren't wearing them. Like, with the with the blatant says, wear it. And for me, it's just like, if there's not any, like I said before, if like there's anything I can do to help, if, if wearing a mask is going to help this thing, then I'll do it just to help it. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we should be wearing our mask and, and following all the proper precautions. It's just, where do you draw the line? I mean... I wish people drew the line at driving alone in their car with their mask on. <laughs> I don't understand that. Those people are my I'm favorite. Like, what's Listen, happening with you? I am that girl on the highway, right? I'm you leaving. Ba- well, because Banner's new policy is you have to have your mask on as you're entering the building. And it used to be kind of like we're getting our stuff on as we're walking in. And I'm back and forth sometimes, multiple times a day. The other day, I'm like sweating in my car, driving, trying to get to the office. And I like look at someone looking at me and I'm like, what are you looking at? Because like, I normally just pull it down because yeah. I don't take it off. The, right. the and neck I would, scarf, which is pretty popular these days too. It's a good the look. The neck scarf. I totally was driving down the 101 with my mask on, like Corella DeVille, 90 Definitely. miles per hour. Person. Like, wait, she's too young to have her mask on while she's driving. They were looking at me and then I was like, pull that mask down. So you got shamed into it. Uh, well, someone probably took a video of you with your mask on on the highway, so it's probably somewhere out on the internet, internet now. I just want to make sure that the things I'm doing, A, are effective, not just seem effective and make sense. Like, that's that's where I struggle with. I don't want to have to do things that are just for show, like yeah. performative hygiene or something. <laughs> yeah, like Or like fear-based things. Like, I think what's hard for me sometimes is um, we react and we do things and I think, especially coming from a medical background, we're taught like evidence-based and what does the literature say? And I think in situations like this, we can only look at the literature on things that are similar to what we're dealing with because it's just too new and the studies are, I mean, you have to do them for a long time and large populations to really know. Um, so it, it leaves you kind of feeling like, are we just doing this because one person came up with this idea. I mean, I, I think I distinctly remember right in the beginning where Fauci was like, yeah, you know, we don't need to be wearing masks. And then it changed. And I think that was like an uproar for a lot of people when people changed their stance. And now we've just gotten to the point now we're four months into this and it's like, oh yeah, well, it will change tomorrow. I mean, working in the hospital, we have to read our email every single night because something is different when we come in in the morning. I remember when we had Tracy on, was it, we said episode eight, yeah? Six. Six, six. six. I learned the word mid- midwifery. Yeah. Because so you how, said my midwifery. Yeah, well, midwifery. <laughs> tell us how this kind of certain, um, this predicament has affected midwifery. I mean, I take care of women throughout their whole lifespan. So I do wellness and I take care of pregnant women. I take care of, you know, perimenopausal and menopausal women all the way up until death, essentially. Um, and I feel like, as you guys know, one of the risk factors for COVID is obviously being a man and being over the age of 40. So it's not, um, I've been pretty lucky and blessed, although um, pregnant women and children are always considered vulnerable populations, especially when it comes to respiratory diseases. We've we've found that our healthy, low-risk mamas are at about the same risk as the general population of, of another female her age. Now, our unhealthy or our mamas that are pregnant with comorbid conditions such as diabetes or obesity, um, they're actually at pretty significant risk of an adverse outcome. So uh, when this all first started, we were seeing COVID pretty irregularly, although we were feeling the effects of it at the hospital Um, you know, because our ICU and our ED and all of our staff was really getting hit hard. 
Um, we're now seeing quite frequently COVID positive patients on our unit. Thankfully, our moms, um, a lot of them, especially as a midwife, are pretty low risk and healthy. So I've been seeing them breeze through this with, you know, pretty severe headaches, sore throats. Uh, there's a lot of different symptoms that present in, in people. Um, but for the most part, you know, um, up until last week, we hadn't had any deaths related to our pregnant moms. We had our first one last week. Now, before COVID, would, would these people who are still, still had comorbidities, what would have affected them negatively? You know what I'm saying? Like, would they have been affected by the flu, by a cold? Like what? Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I think a regular cold in a obese pregnant patient, your potential outcome would be that perhaps it would just linger for a long time and turn into a sinus infection and worst case scenario, pneumonia. So they were at higher risk than the general population. Um, flu, we know for fact, is a huge risk factor for pregnant women, whether you're low risk with no comorbidities. That's been a risk for a while. It's been a big risk. I mean, we see women, healthy women die of the flu every year that are pregnant, unfortunately. So when this first kind of came about, we were like, oh no, you know, we were very fearful that this was going to affect pregnant women and children like the flu does. Um, it has a very different process, um, for lack of going into great detail, but, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this has been a big strain on all my office. Um, and we're, um, we are frontline. I don't want to say like, I, I don't know what it's called. People use the terminology all the time. Uh, we're your frontline and stuff. I wasn't really considering us frontline because I feel like that should be safe for, you know, our paramedics and firefighters and ED and ICU docs and anesthesiologists who are just like, right, they're, they're gowned and PPE all day. They're exposed to PPE or to COVID all day. Um, we were just kind of seeing it more irregularly. And now we're starting to see on our unit. I mean, it's uncommon when we don't have at least one COVID mama laboring now. Um, so it's really starting to put strain on the nurses and I just really think it's crazy that, I mean, three, Jordan's a doctor. We have Tracy here that is, deals with midwifery. and and You can say nurse practitioner. I oh, think it's okay. a little wow. bit. But we're three people that are big advocates for health and staying healthy. And we used to seem like crazy people, I think. Like, we, I mean, Wellness Wednesday, I used to sit up there every damn week and tell people how to mitigate these risks, to mitigate things that we could could combat this virus like and people would look at me like I was crazy he's up there talking about sauerkraut again he's up there <laughs> talking about going to bed he's out there talking about getting vitamin d and people are like wow he's so crazy I mean people here at the table really stand up for health and we seemed crazy at one point and now we're like well I mean maybe you should be eating sauerkraut it's, it's tough <laughs> yeah. to be like well we told you so this whole damn time well, when Fauci tells me to eat sauerkraut I'll eat sauerkraut well okay. Fauci looks like he could be a character on Lord of the Rings let's be honest <laughs> He does. Fauci Baggins. Plus, yeah, I love how Fauci, like, Trump will say something and Fauci will be like, that's not what we should say. <laughs> like, don't say that. That's not true. Where did he find him? What was Fauci? What, what's his term? Like, what, who is he? he? I think he's the director of the, gosh, what is it? I don't know. If there's a guy. It's, it's the like NIH, allergy and immunology. 
for the world health, right? If there's a guy that he needs a head hug right now, it's him. We shouldn't even be saying this. We should know it. Well, it's all right. I mean, he, he's a head. He, he, he's he's a high up puppet. there. So but he needs a he needs a somebody buy him a beer and give him a hug, like with your mask on. But like that guy's been taking a lot of heat. Yeah, it's a, it's probably tough for him. The way I look at things, and people obviously think I'm just going to be a skeptic, and I'm okay with being called being a skeptic. I just or anti-establishment from our that's last what you episode. Said last time, yeah. <laughs> but it just seems to me like with this COVID case, everything is like brand new. Like people never died before because they were pregnant before COVID. And now all of a sudden we're counting these and it probably well, happens, Michael. We just don't know about it. I know. But what I'm saying is if it's, if it happens before, like I was listening to the, uh, the head of um, one of the hospitals in Houston, Houston's getting really packed with um, cases and they're going to have to use their overflow emergency mechanisms for COVID. And people are like, this is a huge deal. And he's like, actually this time of year, every year we kind of go through this before COVID happened. So before this was happening all the time. There was never breathless news on it, but now COVID is bringing this up again and probably making it a little harder, but I don't think we knew how hard it was just on a daily basis. I don't think we had any idea how many people were dying of diabetes, heart disease, flu, and then all of a sudden we're counting these COVID cases, and now all of a sudden this is the disease that matters the most. So I I don't know what to ta- how or to take all other, that. Other people than, you know, like someone like Greg Glassman. <laughs> well, but I think that's what I mean. They use that as a double-edged sword. I mean, Tracy, you know, asked me about this the other day. You know, someone had said something to her about, well, you know, tuberculosis and and malaria kill more people. Why are we so bent out of shape about COVID and stuff like that? And she was like, "Is that true?" And you know, we looked it up, and yeah, you know, it, it is. That doesn't mean that losing you know, 130,000 people in six months is acceptable. Yeah. Isn't important oh, right. by, because you say, Oh, well, you know, twice as many people die from malaria and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't diminish that, that process and stuff like that. It puts it in context, but I think that's, that's the problem. I mean, you know, it's a, it's the clickbait, you know, society, it's the new thing. And, you know, if, yeah, if, if this, if COVID is something that we never get a cure for and never get an effective vaccine for and stuff like that, will people care about it as much in five years? Probably not because it'll won't be novel anymore. It won't be as, you know, um, as just kind of different and, and new and something that it'll be just things that you adjust to, just like people adjust to deaths from cardiovascular disease and people adjust to deaths from suicide and things like that. It's, it's right. not a pandemic because you go, yeah, oh well. Well, and that's what I want is context because it lets me as a citizen make my, make better decisions on what, I, what, how I should behave. I think I just feel like there's no context. I feel like everything is just one way COVID 24 seven. And that's the only thing we're counting. That's the only thing that matters. And it so I think- stresses me out. So I, I agree with you completely. What we focus on right now is it, I feel like the news does a very good job of highlighting um, exceptions <laughs> um, and not necessarily the rules, number one. And I'm finding that the news, again, uses COVID to drive their political agendas, which it's frustrating as a healthcare provider because you see the hysteria that it causes or dismisses things that shouldn't be dismissed because people are like, I don't know how else to say it without being completely rude. The news is just always blatantly wrong. One time Jordan was on the news. It's called a shit show. 
It is a shit show. Jordan <laughs> did a interview up at Thunderbird as a neonatologist, so as a, a person who takes care of babies. And this news reporter was like, "This is Jordan Leonard. He's an OBGYN, and he delivers babies." And and he's like telling, and she's no, like, that's not the, uh, "Like, just go with it." And I was just I'd like <laughs> so many times. The reporter said that. Yeah, like. Oh man. Like I want names. There. It, <laughs> what news sources? It's not. It's what reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, so there's a lot of misinformation there and I don't mean this in a corrective stance. It's just because it's like my, um, my baby, like taking care of women. But you said, you know, when pregnant women didn't die prior to COVID pregnant women have been dying. You about to get served. (laughs) That That was actually my point. Like we act like oh, pregnant women oh, haven't been dying. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, but okay. that makes have. okay. But now all of a sudden it matters because it's got the COVID, COVID label on. Right. So you can still serve me. Go ahead. Yeah, get no, no, get that it wasn't a serve. I just wanted to make sure that we knew that, and it is still rare. I mean, in the United States, it's generally about eighteen out of a hundred thousand, and that's that's the average. But when you look at like the ethnic gaps and non-Hispanic people and, and particularly black Americans, 37 out of a hundred thousand, um, we're already chasing that around and, you know, keeping them safe from preeclampsia and pulmonary embolisms and high cesarean. So rates. many other factors are so many yeah. other factors that, you know, when this first hit, it's like, are we now protecting our black moms from COVID? Are they higher risk? because they're just higher risk in general. But um, I agree with you that we need context. And I think that, unfortunately, in the United States of America, we've created a culture of people who want what they want when they want it. Um, And they don't like to be inconvenienced by things. So something as simple as wearing a mask. And I don't want to say as simple because I hate to wear a mask. I literally despise it. And I complain about it all the time when I'm at work. Um, We all do. But we also know that it's probably at this point in the game, the best case scenario. And it's not necessarily protecting ourselves, but protecting each other, you know, doing something collectively um, to look out for each other. And I think that we're losing that, um, somehow, like with COVID, with, uh, you know, all of the riots and civil unrest that we've been dealing with, it's very divisive. And then I feel like that's a word Michael likes with the protests or (laughs) or with, um, the, you know, the president and some of the, you know, political things that are going on, everybody's driving their own agenda right now. And it just creates more division, mm-hmm. which that division ultimately doesn't help us in the end. Yeah. I always, I've been thinking that I feel like I was disappointed in how Donald Trump has handled this in general, just because it, it was, it was an opportunity to be a leader and be uniting on some level, but he's, he is who he is. So this is where <laughs> him being who he is drives me a little nuts. I don't care if he wants to punch someone in the mouth over taxes. I don't care about that. But this is different, and I, and I don't think it's he served America well as far as, like, he just talks sometimes, and you're just like, dude, just stop. Well, we just hired stop. a businessman right. we did. to run our country, and I think that one of the founding things that America kind of claims itself is, you know, under God and, you know, together united. And he has a hard time 
bringing all of those things in to help us like kind of move forward. How about we pray over our country right now? Because that's what we really need. How about we take a moment of silence to really come together and just try to heal. I, I, I mean, when you said you're about shaming, I agree people should be wearing masks, but like I have never shaming only. never seen our country so divided on, I mean, even my everything. own, on everything, but even like my close friends and people that I've always felt comfortable just being me and saying whatever, like without really worrying about offending someone, I'm very much like, just I got added it to the list that things are not okay to talk about in public anymore. Yeah. That list just keeps growing. And so I, it makes me want to talk about it more though. Yeah, exactly. That's why we got this podcast. I want to ask you two about testing. So the testing, there's been like a huge rise. If, I mean, if you haven't been following the news here in Phoenix, it's been nuts, especially Maricopa County. Um, I was watching something on the internet and it came from a, a news source called Fox News. <laughs> reliable we'll leave it up to you but they're saying that there was we needed some type of government assistance like fema or some other resource to help test more people but don't you think and give me your opinions on testing and if we're testing more our numbers are going to go up correct does that does that mean more people have it or are we just testing more it means you're detecting more disease okay so if we're testing more we're going to have more cases correct correct so is the surge due to more testing or just more of the virus? Well, I don't think that you can say that. Is this going to divide the group here? I'm excited about this question. <laughs> we'll see what you say. <laughs> um, for example, although our testing rate is going up and our known COVID positive cases are going up, we are also seeing a surge in hospital um, Admissions. admissions, admissions, but not just admissions into our ICU, though they're using ventilators less due strictly to protocol because we've learned that early interventions are actually harmful. Um, I think, I mean, at least from what I see, when we were rolling around the first six weeks in this and we had canceled all elective surgeries and our hospital was a ghost town, honestly, it was just quiet all the time to going just back two weeks ago. And I mean, it's, I'm sitting up at night and there's four or five, maybe six code blues overhead. That's never, I mean, here. What's a code blue? A patient's coding, dying. Oh, okay. They call it overhead. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. I don't know that. Would that that be just in pregnancy or just in the hospital in general that's with just, anybody that's our covid floors i mean it can be okay. anywhere but just i mean most people aren't decompensating in our eds because we have pretty good um admission protocol and getting them to the right places and getting them the right resources so that they're not doing that but on our covid floors these people are coding um so i don't think that has anything to do with testing they're coming in sick and they're dying so whether you tested them or not, it really wouldn't matter the number of cases that we are seeing throughout the whole Valley. But I think in particular, the West Valley seems to be uh, really getting hit right now. Yeah, I mean, the only way that you're going to contain this is you have to identify people that have it and then, you know, isolate them. So if you, if a vast majority or not a vast majority, if there's significant majority of people have mild symptoms, you know, and so there's people you know, that we know that maybe had a little fever or maybe just had cough or, um, you know, some of the hallmark signs um, in terms of 
lack of smell or taste and stuff like that. But they think, you know, it's hard to tell. Okay, is this allergies, is this a cold, or is this COVID, and things like that. And again, problem part of the problem with the sensationalism of the news is when every night they're reporting from the ICU, you think, yeah, I got a little tickle in my throat. I don't have COVID. I'm not intubated and stuff like that. So, um, but if you if you have mild disease and you're spreading it, then that's what's going to you know cause some of the problem. You know, it's just like colds and, and regular flus. Most people, when they don't feel well, stay home. You know, don't necessarily socially isolate themselves or wear masks, but they try to not contain it or they try to not spread it, and, and they end up containing it just because they don't feel well. Um, and the same thing happens with COVID, but the, but the issue is, is that you're, you know, if it can take seven to 10 days in some cases for you to have symptoms during that pre-symptomatic stage, you're still spreading the disease potentially. And if you have mild symptoms, you're spreading the disease and you don't even know about it. So if you can test more people and identify those people, you know, and we see this in, you know, all of the sports that are coming back and they're, you know, testing all the people in the bubbles and stuff like that. Well, all these, you know, basketball players are flying down there to play basketball. Obviously they feel great. Well, if 3% of them get tested and have the disease, you know, if you can isolate those 3% and keep them away from the rest of the people, that's how you then don't have it escalate and start to start to advance. But, but isn't there a lot of false negatives when you're doing PCRs on asymptomatic people? Because they're saying, you know, you may not even have enough viral shedding on day one to get this a, a actual true negative. Yeah, I mean, there's right. some certainly, but... That doesn't mean that you don't test. I mean, that's the only way that you're going to be able to to isolate this. And and you know, and you have to have the you know. And part of the problem is here in in Arizona, if it takes seven days to get the results back, by then it's too late. Yeah, what the hell's up with that? Why does it, it take so long? If in seven days, because no, most people can't, you know, go into quarantine for seven days. Most people can't skip out of their job for seven days. Most people can't not take care of their kids for seven days while they're waiting to, to see if that test results come back. And especially, you know, early on when the test positivity rates were 5%, there were a lot of people that were negative. And, and so why would you quarantine everybody? Well, we just, now 30% of the people are positive. Yeah, that's, that gets to be I, a bit. And I don't know why, because I never watch the news. I'm not into politics, but we, Arizona has done a very poor job of providing testing. I mean, we don't have, and I'm not for sure why, I don't know what other states have done to, to get there, you know. The, the article or the video saw said that there was a lady sitting in a car for 13 hours in, a, in, in the Phoenix heat to get a test. Yeah. Like, how outrageous is that? I don't well, know about that. I mean, you can go, I can go to the Banner Urgent Care down the street and get one in five minutes. So, like, why did she wait 13 hours? What was happening there? Well, well there's so many people trying to get ha- tested. You have to have an appointment. The Banner on Van Buren, because we send a lot of our patients there. I mean, we're getting people tested and we're getting results in 72 hours. And, I mean, I think that's decent. If you're inpatient at Banner, you get results within 24. So, you go to the one on Van Buren in, like, Avondale. Mm-hmm. That's where I used to live. And there's another one right by my new house where I live. So yeah, I mean, I just don't get why you wait 13 hours when I, I feel like that's, there's other options unless, because like, I think for some of them, you have to meet certain classifications to get tested. So you either have to have symptoms or be in a high risk group or things like that. Um, it, whereas if you just wanted to be tested to know to whether see. or not you have it. Yeah. For stuff. banner, I don't think you can just walk in there and get tested because like for my patients, when I'm doing elective procedures for them, I, or I sit, 
have suspicion of COVID, I send them and they have to have a written order for testing. So my mom went in, she visited us probably four weeks ago mm-hmm. and she just had a rash and they tested her for it. Mm. Okay. Well, and maybe they have one, someone who saw her and then recommended, but I'm not for sure. Like just random testing, like, Hey, I'm here. I don't have any symptoms, but I want to know if my PCR is negative or positive. Cause there's a lot of people who are utilizing testing centers for that, which. But that's what fear, that's that's what fear does to people, right? That's, that's why the system's all backed up is because that people that are like getting like manipulated by fear be like, oh, I got it. I definitely got it. The news says I have it. So I got to go get tested. So here's a question I have. Heidi was super sick at the beginning of January. Now that was supposed to be before any of the cases happened, but it was so different than any sickness she ever had. She ended up with pneumonia. She, it took her probably four weeks to get through this. Steroids is what got her off of it. Hell yeah. Did they test her for flu? Yes, and she was negative. Because we have the same, I, I experienced the same thing, not myself personally, but in January, I took care of so many patients that had a cough that lasted for almost a month. But she, she couldn't breathe in and, and hold her breath like they're Shortness saying. of breath, yeah. But I've tested some of those people, and they're all IgG negative. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't have COVID, and that's right. the question. So, yeah, my question is, should should she go back and get an antibody test to see if she had it. Would that be of any value? She's not sick now. It doesn't really matter at this point because we don't even know a, that all people who PCR test positive, test positive for the, the antibodies for the the meatheads that are out there. What's PCR? So PCR is testing for active disease. So it's a polymerase chain reaction. So basically it's looking for, it's looking for, part of the virus so it looks for certain components of certain dna the problem with pcr is it doesn't tell you that you're infective so one of the things that they'll say is that you know um like one of the things that they look at when they try to look at um waves of disease or trying to look at surveillance is they'll actually test wastewater in cities and they can do pcr testing and look at the amount of you know viral load essentially in the wastewater to try to get a sense of um, if you're shedding it, you know, when you're going to the bathroom, you know what that is, that, that virus though, that shed isn't infective. So it's, it's, if, you know, if you get in contact with it, there's not necessarily a concern that you're going to get infected. It's that it's, you shed virus for a long time after you've had the disease. That doesn't mean that you're then still contagious. So I've read and seen that there's kind of basically two types of testing. There's a up the nose and mm-hmm. like, there's an oral test, Correct. Those are, they're, they're both PCR tests. Okay, but I've read that, and unreliable news sources are out there, that one person tested positive for the nose test, but then falsely for the mouth test. So they've got, like, they're torn because I think it's an athlete. Like, can he go play baseball or not? Because he failed one test, but it's positive in the other. I think that's part of the problem is we don't have a proper test right now. We don't know that this is the best way to test people. Our antibody testing that we're doing right now doesn't discriminate between IgG and IgM, which means are you active now? Is this recent? Or do you have antibodies against this IgG disease? are the antibodies. Yeah. And IgG. They're both. So yeah. IgM well, they is... they both are. When you, when you first get sick within the first few days or weeks, your IgM antibodies will go up. So those are kind of quick reaction antibodies, but those Think also go away meat. quickly. M meat. And then, whereas IgG is kind of long-term. So when you get vaccinated, you get IgG antibodies that can last months to years. So right now, we're not even testing or distinguishing between the two. So what does your antibody test even mean? Like, are you actively infected? Do You've clearly been exposed. That does tell us that. But there's also 
false positives. I don't think as much false positives as false negatives, or at least that's yeah. what we're presuming. I guess but the I, testing's not good. Yeah. I guess what I'd be curious with, with Heidi's situation is just more context. Like if they say, Hey, this really started picking up in March, but my wife had it back in January. Does that ch- kind of change the landscape at all? I don't know, but I've always wondered, should she go do is. that? It, but it doesn't do us any good. I mean, if, I don't think it changes anything right what's now. What's the odds that someone gets it twice? What's your thoughts on that? In How China, you know? there are some people that, that have, I mean, there's some studies that show there are people who are reinfected, but. I think in the U.S. there's been a couple. When they, when they looked at antibody testing in Spain, they found that like only 5% of the people that had tested PCR positive had antibodies after two months. So, I mean, that's, that's part of the concern because, you know, we, you know, even with flu and stuff like that, even though flu is different in the sense that it changes year to year. And so even though you can get it, you know, one year, you can still get it the next year because it's in some ways it's a different um, flu virus and stuff like that. Usually you get the flu and that's it. You're not going to get it again that season and stuff like that. If, and so all of us kind of thought, you know, this whole idea of herd immunity, well, we should all, you know, maybe it doesn't hurt us if we all get sick because then we'll all be sick. We'll all be exposed then we'll all be immune and it kind of won't spread as much. Um, but if this immunity only lasts a few months or, or, you know, some people don't even develop that immunity at all. That's scary to then, me. Then it doesn't really go away because you never build, you know, you need probably 70%, 70-80% exposure to be able to have herd immunity. If you can never get there because even though you're infecting people, those people are dropping off in their immunity after a couple months, you never have a large enough population that's exposed that's not um, susceptible to be able to kind of buffer that transmission. So, so we don't have herd immunity to the flu, is that correct? You do in the sense of you, you'd get it to some degree within a season, but not year to year. And so I haven't like heard that. of it. What? Heard, heard, heard of it. <laughs> 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 wow. Couldn't help it. Yeah, that was good. So, but, but by and large, that, that's going to reset itself every flu season. Right. Because, because you the get, flu virus Because it's different. Differs. Yeah, so you get you get mutations and stuff like that. So you get drifts in the, in the flu I virus. I hate all of this. This <laughs> is a topic that Michael wanted to, someone else to talk to on the last episode, but schools, where are we at with that? Your kids going back to school? Are, kids, are we legally allowed to say, oh, I don't want to get anybody in trouble? Our kids are, um, well, Ryan's <laughs> well, on Ryan doesn't want to go back start. to school. She yeah. already told us. Yeah. She's on delayed. They're going back a little bit later. I think that's all kids in Arizona. And then it's based off of what school district you're in. I know Ryan's Agua Fria school district, and they're giving no option for in-person for first quarter. So they'll be starting back online. Whereas Morgan's at Trivium, and they um, you can't do both but you can do either or so you're either coming back i kind of like that if you had to pick right now what would you pick for morgan um if i had to pick right now i would send morgan to school um i think that morgan picked staying home (laughs) of course you did (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) i think that um kids benefit from being around each other and Morgan and Brian both have healthy immune systems and Jordan and I are I mean myself I'm lower risk than Jordan he's a male and he's over the age of 40 but what for the most part (laughs) just called you an old man for the most part I feel pretty comfortable sending my kids to school what's your blood type a we're both we're both high risk well I'm not over 40 have they decided blood type in 
and risk is oh yeah a positive that's but right. with that a, being said that a you're higher risk O, it, you're less risk there's that's the most common blood <laughs> yeah, type right. is a that doesn't correlate that's not how positive. they did the study what happened what's my blood type i don't even know Dude, get your <laughs> he's life get, together he's get gonna blood text type. his wife I'm honey gonna, what's my blood it's not type? on your credit card <laughs> that's for I, sure i've got my united blood services card there you go there you go so you gonna like you feel safe with your kid going back to school? Like that's a big. I think that's a big hurdle that we're gonna have to go through with a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I think I feel pretty comfortable with her going back to school because um, she is young, healthy, and low risk. And I think that we're really. I don't want to say lucky because my family isn't here, but unfortunately Jordan and I have chosen to live in Arizona, which is far away from our our family. So we're not. I don't have anybody to take that risk to right now. Like we don't, I'm not worried about seeing my parents and stuff because they're in another state. So I think actually our children would be great candidates to be kids to go back to school. And I don't think that that is for everyone. I think there are many kids that are, would not be good candidates to do in person school. Um, Like if your parents live next door, you would think differently probably. I don't know. I, Say it, Jordan. No, she wouldn't. Not, what about your parents? Not, we're not talking yeah. in-laws now. I'd send them for sure. No, I mean, I certainly, I mean, I, I. it's one of the things I worry about schools in terms of, you know, that more so the teachers and stuff like that than the kids. I mean, you know, Morgan's, Morgan's choice to stay home was more due to the fact that most of her friends, um, their parents have chosen to keep them out. And so for Morgan, Morgan, you know, if a, if a bunch of her friends would have been going back in person, Morgan probably would have been back in person. So you wouldn't have but, been concerned. And I, and I would have sent her and wouldn't have necessarily, you know, worried about it and stuff. But, um, but she chose because she was like, well, a lot of my friends are staying home. And, and like Crazy said, the way that they've done it is because, it's, you know, they, she, Morgan goes to the Great Heart Schools. Um, but they're doing some of their remote teaching using teachers in other states. So it's not like you can just drop in one week or a not because it's going to be a different kind of curriculum or a different pace than the kids that are doing, you know, in-person classes and stuff. So you can't just kind of go back and forth. So right. if, if you do it, you have to do a quarter at a time of either in-person or or distance learning. I just stuff. think that there's so much for our school-age kids to learn now do I think that they need to go to school Monday through Friday, eight to five? No, I I, did. I I think I turned out great. (laughs) I think that there are a lot of things actually that have come out of COVID that are going to be, um, some of them will stick. Some of them won't. I think some of them should stick and some of them shouldn't. But, um, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember being in seventh or eighth grade, but those are tough times with all the, growth and hormones and change and I mean I watched Ryan struggle big time sixth and seventh grade and I think one of the best things that ever happened for her was COVID and going online she like got her grades up she was happy like she dreaded going to school and I take care of 14 year old girls very frequently at my office that come to see me for, you know, they need birth control pills, not necessarily because they're sexually active, but because they have menstrual irregularities or bad cramps. And I talk to these girls and so many of these kids are suffering from depression as early as, you know, sixth and seventh grade because of the bullying and the stuff that goes on at school. So you don't think that some of that needs to happen though? Yeah. 
It's like everyone needs to get bullied and everyone needs to do a little bullying, don't you think? Yes. Because I got bullied. And you can't extrapolate our situation. I mean, our, our kids were home. I'm home because I'm semi-retired. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, semi-retired. I made our kids do more work than they had to do and stuff like that. So our, our kids didn't lack in their opportunity to, you know, still get a decent education because because we had the benefit of having one of us at home that could spend time with them to do this and stuff like that. And we we have multiple computers at home, so we don't have to worry about resource sharing and stuff like that. And that's that's not the case for a, you know again a lot of families who have two parents that have to work, who have multiple kids, and right. wouldn't have access have worked with me as a kid. It's no. not working for a lot of people, and I and I respect that, and I don't I didn't mean that dismissively in any way. But I also I think that when you talk about COVID and all of the things that are happening happening right now there's a bigger picture and it's just how we do life in america in general and the things that need to change about it the reality of the situation is is part of our programming and the hours of school and the things that we do are based off of the monday through friday eight to five work job that's kind of gone by the wayside in america um and accommodating child care for these people because most families are too you know, mom and dad are going to work and a lot of families, 50% were running one parent households because parents are divorced. So, you know, I think there are so many things that you could debate about, you know, there's not going to be a one size fits all Mm. to fix this as far as schooling is concerned. I just used to make fun of homeschool kids a lot. So now all the kids are going to be homeschooled. So like socially, do you think like that's going to affect, we're now going to have this COVID generation? 100%. But I think that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's a one size fits all. I think how it is now and how it probably should have always been was that there should have been different routes of education for different types of children. That one size fits all is never worked. It's never worked for anything. Except for hats. Usually one, one size, size fits okay. all. Okay. And they already have, they have online schools. <laughs> yeah. You can, I mean, and they have, and I think that's why this transition actually has been fairly, I don't want to say easy, but lots of things were already put in place because many people have changed the way that they educate their children. So it hasn't been quite as shocking, but I also think that it goes back to our morals and our values. And, you know, we can agree as Americans that our our values and what we put our time to, we're kind of like skewed at this point, like working all the time, no family time. No, we don't value family. We value living in nice houses, driving nice cars, keeping up with the Joneses, even if we can't afford it. I mean, that is what, I mean, that's the classic American way. And you think this is kind of put a, like a pause on that or, Maybe just time to reconsider what we find important. I mean, like we've talked about before, how we sit. I mean, I think that I don't want to say we're unique because that sounds like narcissistic, but I think that we do not hold a list. (laughs) We don't hold the majority thought process, the way that we live our lives. Um, I've been a member of CrossFit for 10 years. I don't know how many times somebody has told me that I'm in a cult and what we do is crazy and it used to like bother me and I used to try to sell it. Now I'm just like, like I am who I am. I take care of my patients. I take care of my people, my community, community around me. Um, and I feel like I'm awake and I've, I was already watching some oh, of you this. Woke. Oh, <laughs> woke AF. Oh, 
Well, I'm just talking about like, you know, the controversy around closing gyms, for example. There, as a healthcare provider, there's a very big part of me that's like, you know, going in and getting your sweat on in the morning does have an aerosolizing effect. So if we're trying to decrease numbers here, we may need to consider this and how good is separation and space and, you know, like how well can we contain this? And you really have to look at the risk and benefit because one thing we know for sure about COVID is that it has about 40 to 50% of people have obesity who are in the ICU or ventilated. So your mortality rate is significantly increased. And it's hard for me to process that what I do every day to not only not be obese, but to, you know, just better my health and my immune system, my mental health, my physical health. We're the crazy people, remember? All relies on me going to, you know, hitting the gym and them closing it affects my immune system, my weight, and it affects my mental health. And I've had a really hard time with finding the risk benefit what, you know, what's too much and what am I willing to accept? And I think that also much like schooling, it looks very different for each individual person. If you are someone who has, you know, known autoimmune disease or is morbidly obese and you're going into public places like the gym where there's possible exposure, is that risk of exposure more than the risk of being sedentary? This is a debate. This is a debate. Yes. So you say it is worth it. We disagree. Oh, good. It's a a false flag argument. It's. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. CrossFit and activity and diet nutrition are absolute determinants in long-term health. Mm-hmm. that you cannot compare that to viruses. So so you staying at home for three weeks because they closed down the gym is not going to increase your risk of COVID. I'm not saying uh, so, three weeks, but we're not at three weeks. How many weeks are we at now that we've been dealing with this? Eight weeks. I don't think you staying home for eight weeks is going to increase your risk of COVID. The people that are dying from COVID haven't been to the gym in two years. It hasn't been, it's not two months. So you, okay. you're not going to change their risk factors by, if, even if you took every single obese person right now and said, you know, forget the stimulus check. We're going to make you go to the gym because we're going to try to decrease your rate of COVID. You're not going to see it this year. You may see it next year. You may see it. You'll definitely see it five to 10 years. After I don't that, know. There's but some, you're not going to see it. This there's year. some really good studies that actually show even obese people who change their diet have a metabolic response immediately that affects their immune system. So I don't know if I buy that there that you have to because, and here's another one that you're not going to like. Um, I know plenty of obese people, right? Obese meaning we're just talking straight up. The definition of it is where your BMI lies, greater than 30. I know plenty of obese people that I work out with at the gym who would, by definition alone, meet high-risk criteria for COVID that are absolutely not high risk. I can tell you right now, they're not sedentary, they eat well, but their BMI doesn't fit into that criteria. So I think that there are a lot. They've been doing this program for 
months years or years years you can you're right you can make biochemical changes so i can make put you through a diet i can put you through a physical activity and i can change your blood numbers in a week or in a month but you don't change long term things that, i mean that's why if, if that was the case we'd all say but oh you, boy you're you know you can do whatever you want for the first you know 30 years of your life and then just get real serious and in a month you'll you'll erase all of that but I mean, it's a greater debate of what a six-pack is, right? We've had this a hundred times. A six-pack isn't an indicator of health. It's not. It, it's an indicator of discipline. But looks great. It looks nice. And I'm not knocking it. I'd love one too. But it doesn't mean that you're a healthy person because you have a six-pack. There are lots of things that we look at as uh, as markers of health. And I think that it would be quick or immature to say Immature, that, that's a big word. That <laughs> She's calling me immature. <laughs> that's what I, I think I just heard. Speaking just Let's be the hype man. You're, no, she didn't. I bet you, no, did she? That's called being an agitator. <laughs> an agitator. But what I'm saying is I would, I would take the benefits of exercise and good nutrition like right here, right now. I'm going to give you an example. Um, since this all started, I would go down at like... 10 o'clock every night to the doctor's lounge to grab something to drink before I would go to bed. And I always ran into the same ICU doctor like week after week after week. And when I first met him and introduced myself to him, um, he was, I mean, probably early forties and a little bit overweight. And we would kind of talk a little bit about COVID and what I was seeing on my unit and what he was seeing. And, you know, lumber numbers are really low. They would have like one person in the ICU. And then week after week after week, we would just be chatting. And, you know, those numbers slowly climbed and climbed and climbed. And I was in the break room last week and I run into him and I'm kind of looking at him because he's normally down there grabbing some chips and grabbing some things, notoriously not great things in the doctor's lounge as far as health and nutrition is concerned. Um, But he's usually eating their food with no, I'm not knocking that because meal prepping in this COVID situation has been a, with my hours of work, I've been struggling and I feel it in my body. So I'm not knocking him in any way but, I am. but he was down there in the break room and he had a, like three tupperwares full of vegetables a salad a meat and then a greek yogurt sitting on top of it and this guy's looking like half the size he was when i had seen him i just i think it was slowly melting away and i had i was i didn't want to be rude or point out that he had lost weight because i was like maybe he's sick i don't know what's going on but he was like, yeah, you know, the demographics have changed a lot. I'm now seeing younger, healthier people, 40-year-old men. And the only thing that I really see consistent is, are you a male? Are you over 40? And are you a little, are you obese? And if the answer is yes, you're probably on my floor and you're probably not doing well. And I just, for I mean, like, that sounds so terrible, but it was such a win. I was like, look at him packing his food, losing weight and doing <laughs> what good. he has to do. I mean, he's... Talk about high risk exposure when you're working the IC, as an ICU doctor and they're drowning in numbers right now. They're all picking up and trying to help each other because there's not enough people to do the work that needs to be done. Nursing staff, doctors, respiratory, cleaning. I mean, the whole crew, right? That's from the bottom to the top. But um, there's this, I mean, and I'm, I'm an ultimate, like, I, I, I keep hope 
sitting with everything, but I look at it and I'm just like, maybe this is our opportunity to highlight what we know. What I mean, what I deal with on a daily basis, infertility, irregular periods, all caused by metabolic syndrome. All of it. I'm seeing 13-year-old girls with BMIs at 50. Ooh. Wow. All right, here's your counter. We won't let you get bullied on this podcast, Jordan. I don't know she gets. <laughs> so it sounded it sounded to me oh, like you were saying though. Oh, he can stand up uh, on his own. I know, feet. I know. Yeah. Sounded, I just was going to give him a counter argument. It sounded to me like you were saying though that shutting down for four weeks isn't going to make a difference for people who are obese who wanted to start working out. Would you also say it wouldn't make a difference for someone like me? For for all, for all of us, everyone sitting here and stuff like that, we're not going to go from you know we have less risk than probably the general population just because of our activity level and our diet. We're not going to all of a sudden double our risk by not going to the gym. So I, month, in the first quarantine, I probably gained 10, maybe 15 pounds. That doesn't increase my risk. Goo. I, I'm I not disagreeing no. with you. I would say probably not because I haven't made that much damage in that short amount of in time. In level because one, they talk about are your fitness is a hedge against sickness like you have this right. your fitness are, are doing our every workouts every day and eating well like that's a hedge against sickness so like the fitter you are the more kind of hedge you have against that correct yeah and i and i think you know one of the reasons that you know this particular disease that covid coronavirus it, it has to do with the kind of the thrombotic events. So it's not just that people are dying of pneumonia. They're dying of strokes. They're dying of clots. I mean, I think that's part of the reason that they're having hypoxia is they're having probably microclots in their lungs. And so even in areas of their lungs that aren't shut down, they're not getting good perfusion. So they're not sucking in a lot of oxygen and being able to deliver it to their body. Those types of you know inflammatory processes, thrombotic processes, are, are long-term. I think that's why, you know, male hormones affect it more. Um, it's, it's why long, you know, things like hypertension, that's why all those things are risk factors, diabetes, all those things are risk factors. Um, gaining, you know, 20 pounds in a month or whatever, it isn't gonna, isn't gonna double your inflammatory rate. You know, and, and we see that, you know, we, let's not let it happen again. No, Michael. You wouldn't argue that <laughs> exercising every day would decrease your risk for a thrombotic event, even acute in an acute situation. No, absolutely. But what's the bigger risk is the bigger risk when you have 30% of people getting tested being positive coronavirus is the bigger risk that you're going to get an infection disease, infectious disease, or is the bigger risk that you're going to get a thrombotic event in the two weeks that you're thrombotic I like that, that you're word. that you're not exercising i guess what i would what I, sorry you can answer that no i, I mean I, it's, We're the referees. I, it's not Go. that it's not that i don't agree with what you're saying fundamentally that's a very rational thought process but we have businesses small businesses closing down left and right i also think that our economy and fear-based propaganda uh, there's a whole lot of things go into closing things down. I mean, we're struggling to keep our doors open and we've been an establishment for 12 years. That's right. a pro that's scary. But again, you're talking me. about closing all business. I think that, like you said earlier, if you're exercising at near capacity and your heart rates up in the one fifties and you're breathing 60 to 70 times a minute, you're putting yourself in a situation where you're increasing the chances that you're going to spread the disease if you have it. Yes, that is I very won't different argue that. than going to dinner. 
that is very different than going to a shopping mall and or things like that. Because th- those are the places where if, if you socially distance, if you wear a mask. Nobody's socially distancing at restaurants or bars, by the way. And That's I would why they're like, closed. And I would like to argue while we're just going on little rants right Let's now. Let's do it. It's what the people came to hear. I have a really hard time closing down fitness centers when McDonald's and all of these restaurants that literally we know for fact cause disease. Example, I walk into the unit and every single person there has a happy meal and an extra side of chicken nuggets that they're giving out to healthcare workers. I would argue that you are actually increasing their risk for disease. One hundred percent. I definitely don't think it's helping the situation. <laughs> like, I just feel like America's priorities are so freaking sideways. I, I I get that, but again, just like when you said earlier, oh, you know, we don't value family enough, and it's just about keeping up with the Joneses and making money. I don't see people swimming across rivers to go to countries where they can be unemployed and spend a lot of time with their family. This is the land of opportunity because. People want to succeed. People want to pull themselves up. People want to have a better life. And because it's not communism, you don't get there by someone giving you a handout. You have to work hard. You have to put time away. So, yeah, sure, in an ideal world, we'd all be, you know, software engineers and, you know, have an IPO and make a million dollars and then be able to spend all our time at home. But that's not going to happen. So everyone has to work hard. You have to sacrifice. You can't have it all. You can't have, you know, a good lifestyle and a good family and make enough money to be able to take care of yourself and your family and your charities that you want to and, you know, do all these things. It's it's the myth. He's going to mic drop. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna mic drop, no. but it's you know it's. You know, I agree a solid with you, argument, and, and I understand. Uh, it's and, a solid and you're argument. right. There's probably more harm than benefit that comes from places, fast food places. So you're gonna close them all down. Who's the person that decides what we close down and what we don't close Please down? Please not. Don't so make it we're, gonna put, we're gonna put we're gonna put soda companies out of business Hell because yeah. we don't yeah. like them. We're gonna put fast food companies out yeah. of business because we don't like them. I'm all about it. Let's do it. I'm not about imagine, it. <laughs> I'm not even joining. I am not about I'm, it. Imagine if you put fast food industry out of business right now, and it forced people to actually, literally purchase and cook their own food. Well, if they can purchase right. it. Right. right now, McDonald's has a dollar menu and you exactly. only have $5. Exactly. That, that hurts me to say, but that's so, the truth. No, exactly. So now you increase the costs of food. So then people have to work more to be able to pay for that. But yeah, we don't want that because we want them at home with their families because we have screwed up <laughs> values and things like that. Um, I'm actually agreeing with both of you. Yeah, I can't. I can't choose which side <laughs> I don't, I'm on. No, it's, no. Because it's not a side. It's a balance. And that's yeah. the thing. I mean, yeah, sure, I, don't, I don't disagree that it's not choose, a balance. We choose to say... We're not going to smoke. We're not going to drink excess alcohol unless we're on quarantine. Where's the word excess there? We're not. We're not going to do all these things that are unhealthy. But if other people choose to do it, that's that's America, baby. And and on our last episode, that's what I talked about. I think were you the one that just said who's going to decide what we close down? to me, I'm like, I want to be able to decide for me and my family what the best option is. So if I, if I'm like, look, fast food isn't going to work for me. I'm going to take the time to cook at home. But you know, some days fast food is just, we, and we eat Heidi's fast had food. a rough day. I yeah. had a rough day. I'm going to go to cafe Rio and grab a tostada. I don't know mm. if I call cafe Rio fast food. 
I'm faster ta- food? We'll go get a, <laughs> it is a box of tacos from Taco Bell. How's that? Dude, okay. don't is do that. that. I agree. I, I feel like that I don't like closing things down. I think that we should be able to continue with small businesses, gyms, and many of the things that they've closed down and people, the people, Americans. We the people. We the people with free the ability to make choices based off of our own situations, our risk factors, and what benefits us, and we can make those decisions. When I, I, when I first got to Arizona, it was so crazy of a state to me because you can get medically, you can smoke marijuana, get a medical card, but you also can conceal or like have an open carry gun. Right. So like this state is just like confusing as heck to yeah. me. And why now, is freedom confusing to you? <laughs> it, it sounds like it doesn't. It just for me, it was it boggled my mind that you could have both ends of the spectrum in one state. Yeah, and so now, you could get high and carry a concealed weapon. Yeah, is that or what open you're carry about? at that. Yeah. Uh, and it and it seems like this this situation has kind of put Arizona's government and kind of open policies on display and kind of now forcibly because Doug Ducey forcibly he had to do that he he had to close something he was feeling pressure from somewhere else like it it, it, it wasn't his idea to be like okay let's close everything or let's just close right. bars let's and ruin our well, economy and, and and for all the people that keep putting this because they put this in the threads Uh-oh. The, the governor as the governor of the state of Arizona does not have executive control over Indian land so casinos, which are on Indian land, cannot be closed by executive order of the governor. So you can say all the time, how stupid is it that we're closing gyms, but we're not closing casinos? I, I think that. it's true, <laughs> but he can't. He couldn't if he wanted to. Well, that's all the land they have left, unfortunately. So it's, it's, not, it's not that <laughs> that's he a whole other chose not to do that. But again, I, you, know, and you, could, you could argue, well, you know, maybe the risk is different and stuff like that, too. But even if he wanted to, he couldn't close the casino. I saw a video of a guy smoking a cigarette through a mask. So anything's possible. Yeah. I saw that video. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's really a casino. disgusting. In a casino, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm all about freedom. I mean, I'm very, I'm very conservative. I, you know, I, I believe, yes, I believe is. less government and stuff like that. But I also think the reason I don't believe in no government. I don't believe in anarchy. I don't believe in that. What people, about that place up in Seattle? But yeah, people can just do what they want because I think the role of <laughs> what government, would they call that? big government in a small space. Yeah. No, 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 they made their own little right. What was that called? Chop. Chaz. 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 Sorry. Yeah. But I mean, I think the role of government, government is trust me. to protect <laughs> yeah, society in general. So, you know, for the role of government is to say, we, you know, we think these things aren't beneficial. And so we're going to have some limits on it. You know, the reason that you can't just go out and grab some heroin and smoke it is because we think that that's, you know, the harm vastly, you know, outweighs the risks and stuff like that. I don't have any problem with that. And I think it gets hard. It gets hard when there's things like, well, where is alcohol on that line? Where is tobacco on that line? Where is marijuana on that line? Where is mushrooms on that? There there are things that, again, there's, there's real debate on, and on where that falls and stuff like that. But so when, you know, when they say things like you have to wear a mask, sure, I'd like to be able to think I can make my own choices and stuff. But if wearing a mask is going to potentially decrease the rate of transmission and decrease the rate of deaths, again, I, th- I don't think that the... Where do you what draw the asking, line? What they're asking from you is that excessive. But, and, I, and what I said in a previous episode is taking responsibility for that. So if we are giving you the freedom to make a choice, like you told us you guys are going to Florida. Is it okay if we talk okay. about this? Oh boy. You guys are choosing to go to Florida. <laughs> and then guess what? If you guys go down to Florida... And get COVID, you're going to be like, okay, let me take responsibility for that. Let me make sure that I isolate and do everything that I do to get healthy. 
but people, when that happens to certain people, they're like, oh, why did this happen to me? Like, like blah, blah, why blah, didn't blah, the government protect? Yeah, you exactly. That? Yeah. They want to like cry when it, when it happens to them, but they want the freedoms. Right. Like, they it, want both sides of yeah. it. They want to be able to make their own decisions. But then if something happens, they want, you know, to be able to get whisked away. You know, I, not I wanna, your Americans. I to, your Americans are just working hard. Hard working Americans. Hard working Americans. I'm just kidding. You have, you have Americans? Nice. <laughs> Can I be one? <laughs> Can I go to Florida with you guys? I'd go. Like, okay, I'm not so afraid to travel right now. I would like to just disclose a little something about us going to Florida. Oh, gosh. It is, it is a selfish selfish move on my part, and I'm well aware of it. Like, I'm not advising it. I think that we just decided for our family, our our greater family, and everything that's gone on over the last couple of years and how long it's been since we've seen each other, we've all made a decision knowing that, yes, there's risk associated with it, and we may end up regretting it if any of the elder people in our family get sick. But, I mean, we've just, that was our decision for us, and I'm happy that as of right now, we're one week <laughs> away right and we still have plane tickets. We're still able. There's no quarantine order or anything. Um, but I, I, I understand that. You understand there, the risk. I understand the risk, but I also understand there are many people who would be like, why would you do that? That's a risk that's, that is far greater than I would be I mean, comfortable I've visited, with. I visited South Carolina. I went home and saw my family knowing it was risky, knowing that I would have to wear a, a mask on the plane and mm-hmm. taking all those precautions. I knew that that, that was a chance. And yeah. Well, community and friendships and family and interpersonal interactions are so important to me. And I just don't know how long I'm willing to sacrifice those things for for something for me personally that has a less lesser risk than some people. And I know that that is not mainstream and I know people may judge me for it, but I like my mental health and my need to see my family right now, it's been almost a year um, just due to circumstances. Like I'm, we're all, we're like, let's go. I'm and, a glass I'm half gonna hug full them. kind of guy. Do you think that this situation, everything that we're going through, do you think people are going to have this like self-realization that we need to get my, our health in order, or do you think we're going to continue to make obesity, metabolic syndrome, thrombotic? What was that? Thrombotic? Thrombosis. Yeah, thrombosis. That was a good word. We always learn words with Tracy. Do you think that we're going to take this and say, we need to get our shit together, or we're just going to keep banging our head against the wall? Well, I think Americans in general, I mean, we're, we're climbing crazy high rates. The, the amount of obesity, especially in children right now, and in, in the study of epigenetics and why is that happening? Is it something to do with what we're doing in our pregnancies? Um, right now, the rate is only climbing. My only prayer, I mean, this, is, this isn't even just about CrossFit. It's about what I do every day in, in my job. I literally fight chronic disease. And pregnant women. Oh yeah, me too. And yeah, you and you too. <laughs> I actually had a conversation with one of my docs the other day. I was all fired up about gym closures and you know, and I was just like, my job as a CrossFit coach and BirthFit coach, I feel like I have a greater impact on somebody's health than I do in my office when I do a 30 minute lecture on PCOS and metabolic syndrome and what it means for their fertility, what it means for long-term outcomes for them and their, their offspring. I, I have more of an impact on people in one hour in the gym each day. 
And that's crazy to me. Yeah. We're lucky. Well, I'm lucky. I feel like I'm I always tell people I'm in the trenches, like yeah. with, with bullets are flying with health and wellness. And this is the front line, like being someone's coach. So you see them every day. It's like, this is the trenches every day. And it sometimes it's, it seems like I'm doing a good job and I feel yeah. like I'm helping people. And then sometimes I feel like I'm just yelling at the wall. Yeah. I think coaches and health coaches are like so important. And I just want to see more and more of them because what I find is that as a medical professional, people come to see me and they don't want it. it like how many times do you say you really need to look at your diet and your lifestyle? I mean, it's almost like a joke, a cliche, right? They're like, what they're going to say to you if you ever go to the doctor. I mean, they're just like, yeah, duh, but I'm here to see you because, you know, I've been on my period for eight weeks because my BMI is 55. Can't relate, but yes. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to help themselves. You at least are going to a job where people are coming to you and actually seeking your expertise whereas mine is like matters what class you come to (laughs) mine is medical advice they may know they may come to see me and not have any idea what type of medical provider i am and they're just looking for standard like i'd like the birth control pill and i just want to deal with this but i don't want to change anything in my life or there's other people who come to see me i mean i love it it makes my heart so happy every time i hear it i'm doing an annual and they say like my friend so-and-so told me that you helped them lose 50 pounds and, you know, they tell me this great story and they're there specifically at their, you know, pap smear for the year asking me about how to lose weight. That's the stuff that gets me excited. Sounds pretty yeah. cool. But even pregnant moms, I mean, so here you have a situation that's probably, you know, the most influential moms when they're pregnant to influence the outcome of their baby will do things you know i mean they you know they're growing a human inside of them they they are probably you know the most receptive to influence as far as hey if you do these things it can have an impact on your baby you know lots of moms that that smoke you know either regularly or intermittently will quit smoking you know during pregnancy because of what the effect that it has on their babies but yet if you tell them you know if you told them preconception hey you know if you lose weight, eat less sugar, exercise more, all these things we know will have long-term effects on your baby. How, I would say a, a small minority actually do it during pregnancy and stuff. So even in that best of situations, it's hard to get people to change their lifestyles. We, I mean, I know that, you know, not eating ice cream twice a week would have, you know, benefits to my overall health. It's hard for me to do it and things like that. So I think until you, you know, we're talking about long-term disease and it's hard to incentivize people to make changes in long-term disease until it becomes, there's some sort of financial impact until, you know, it's, it's pain. Pain causes people to change. Well, but most of the pain is long-term. Yeah. I mean, and that's why obesity is so rampant, I think, because you don't have to deal with the consequences. Now you, you, Take the fruits, right? The high, that sugar it's that you usually get donuts. from sugar. Yeah, donuts are amazing. <laughs> and I'm not saying there's an... agitating again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there's an all or nothing approach because like when you say things like, well, if I didn't eat ice cream twice a week, well, yes, I agree. But you also get up every day and work out. And for most of your meals, you're eating fruits and vegetables and protein. If the worst thing you do in your life is eat ice cream once a week... I feel like you're still working on yeah, but being a healthy person. Yeah, but I'm 99th percentile of health. But, I, but I'm, I'm not the 99. And I, you know, I am, I am representative of like, you know, I will work out 
five or six days a week, I will generally try to do healthy. I don't have a lot of bad habits in terms of consumption and stuff like that. The one thing that I could change that would have the biggest impact on my long-term longevity and, and lifestyle and wellness is my diet. It is hard for me to change. I know this. I, I'm an educated He's person. A, yeah. He is it a is, sugar addict. It is hard for me to change that and stuff yeah. like that because, you know, it, it's I'm just, just... I would love, like, I just, I think that's so interesting because you, like... Jordan, can I tell him the story of when you cried in the kitchen? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can, I can, <laughs> I can tell him. So, was the ice cream gone? Yeah. <laughs> did someone leave the door open on the freezer? So this, this was the first time I did a paleo challenge. This was like six years ago. So yeah, this was a long time ago. And, and you know, it, the way that they did the challenges back then is they were a little bit over, I think they were like five weeks. So you did three weeks of paleo. Then you did one week of macros. Then you did one week of keto. So it was, you know, they, the primary exposure was to paleo because that's, you know, part of part of the mainstay of, of CrossFit. But they also exposed you to these other diets because it's things that were kind of fatty or popular and stuff like that. So you got to do a little bit of both. And again, you got meal plans and, it's, and you know, it's just like your But cult. can I just interrupt and just, I have to preface this just okay. a tiny bit. This was probably my fifth or sixth challenge and because I started crossfit before him and i started the challenges before him and we used to have these what i thought were medical debates about the effects of sugar on behavior uh, energy levels and i had withdrawal I'm, i like sugar a lot too maybe Who doesn't i mean it's normal yeah so i had told him you know or throughout my challenges that he wouldn't partake in prior to him doing it he kind of made fun of me because there, I would come in, you know, on day three or four and I would just be like, Oh my God, my head hurts so bad. I feel awful. And he's just like, it's not a thing, Tracy, no empathy <laughs> whatsoever. So fast forward, he does his first challenge and not kicking and screaming. He was like, I, I want to do this. I want to get my nutrition on point. Now go ahead. Uh, yeah, now go. And, I, and, and I did it for real and stuff like that. And it, and it was, real. he didn't cheat. It was, and it was hard. I mean, that first week, I mean, probably day three or four, I remember coming home and at this time I was still in basics. I, I hadn't moved over to CrossFit yet. Um, so it was a workout that, I mean, I think it was, there was a lot of rowing and stuff like that, but it was, it was probably more of an endurance type of workout than it was a true strength kind of workout. And like, I remember driving home, just sobbing, just tearful and, and again not for any particular reason not because of a time not you know not because of any kind of performance measures it was just like the whole thing hit me and again and i'm not sure i would say and you know this is part of the things that we debate about i'm not sure i would say it's a true withdrawal from sugar again, it's a I true think, withdrawal no i think no i think you're metabolically changing and so like that so i think there's metabolic changes that in make you tears, feel there was a lot of metabolic make you feel like crap but i don't know it's that it's a true withdrawal in the sense that you're but that in that, in that definition but anyways um you know and because i mean it truly affected me and so that was the first time you know because we used to joke i think before we started this you know people would talk about sugar and sugar withdrawal and stuff like that you know and, and i remember i semi-jokingly but not really jokingly saying to tracy well they don't know sugar like we know sugar you know i mean <laughs> yeah. you know sugar's my friend there you know sugar candy ice cream has gotten me through lots of you know depressed nights or down times <laughs> or things like that so it's well, I just always thought it was so interesting because you when you debate with this man you better bring your notes and all the literature because he knows it he like and he has a degree well he's a degree in physics he is a physician and then he, he was bored in his residency and also had got a nutrition degree as well too so when I have these arguments with him and he would just be like <laughs> 
that's not a thing, Tracy. Like, and kind of dismiss my diet stuff. And then I, see him tearing up. It got to be pretty funny. It, I, I, like, I, could, I couldn't find any empathy in my heart. It just felt too good. I was like, come here, I'll hug you. But this is, this is a good moment right here. <laughs> but, I mean, so to get back to your question about are people going to change and stuff like that, I don't, I don't think people are altruistically going to do it. I don't think people are going to come out of this and say, oh, crap, yeah, look it. I dodged a bullet. Yeah, you know, I dodged a bullet. I got lucky, but I'm going to prepare myself for next time. They're just, they're going to think, I dodged a bullet. Oh, Shoo. Jordan. I'm okay. He's a pessimist. No, I don't no, believe it. I'm a realist and yeah. stuff. And so I, I agree with that. Pessimists actually. always call themselves realists. <laughs> no, but I think that's where government has a change. And again, I when it when it first came out, I cringed and and I but I've been more receptive of it. The idea of taxing sugary beverages and things like that to say, okay, listen, okay, you're not going to probably be able to ban sodas, but you can say, listen, if you buy just like when you buy cigarettes, if you buy this. We're going to charge you extra and we're going to take that money. We're going to put it towards healthcare and stuff like that because we know that that's going to be where it's going to we know if you can consume it. us down the road and yeah. stuff. Because, and, and then people, some people will change. Some people will say, well, gosh, this soda, instead of costing me a dollar, it now costs me $2. It's hard to be fat and broke. Yeah. It's hard to be fat and broke. Well, it, sometimes it's not because unfortunately a lot of the processed food is cheaper. I was going to say, I feel like that's what... You can de-incentivize people. You can say, we're going to give you a break on your insurance if you, you know are fit and meet all these certain measures and stuff like that. I think there's ways that you can affect change through both positive and negative consequences, but I think you just can't rely on people to, to make the right choice. Damn it, Jordan. I was really hoping for like a pie in the sky answer uh-huh. from you. Yeah. I feel like but maybe I <laughs> You're never going to get a pie in the sky. From I feel him. like that's a clear view of humanity though. Like that, like what how's, changes? That, how's that going for us Is there us anything now? in your life that you would, that you need change that all of a sudden one thing's going to happen and boom, I'm going to change it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes. Yeah, but don't you see people who, it's I don't know, I feel pe- like people, but you're right. It's, it's I mean, exercise. Not I mean, ex- the exercise norm. is easier than, than diet and stuff. I mean, you can walk, you can ride your bike, you can do lots of things that you don't need a gym. I mean, what percentage but of I, people exercise regularly? And, yeah. and that's a. I find though in my, um, in my little studies that I do on all my patients every day when I collect data on them, more of them exercise. Because one of my questions is, do you exercise? What do you do? How many days a week do you do it? And my second question is, tell me a little bit about your diet. Are you getting protein? Are you getting vegetables? Are you getting fruit? And I ask every single my person. Is, are you good? Yeah. What? Yeah. Do a 24-hour do <laughs> diet recall with them. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Had cereal for breakfast. I ate good. But I definitely think people, I, I feel like in the last year, I see so many more people that are exercising. But I don't know if there's a bias there because people know the type of medicine that I provide. And now people who exercise and eat or healthy are have a jack doctor out. and they want to no. say, hey, that they exercise to their jack doctor. <laughs> or people don't tell the truth. I mean, yeah, it's, we, we used to people lie. You can tell by looking at people if they exercise or not. Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes not. But I would say most people exaggerate their goodness. Their, yes, their, well, their, <laughs> their wellness. Goodness. They exaggerate their diet. Yeah. They exaggerate their exercise. Because morals. because they know the right answer. Well, I mean, when you ask people, I mean, we, we were ta- we were taught in med school. You know, when, when you interview people, especially if you think someone has a drinking problem, you don't ask them how many drinks do you have a week. You ask them how many six packs do you have a week. Because if you ask how many drinks, two or three. How many six packs? Two, two or, or three. three. <laughs> yeah. Dang, it's interesting. Well, I hate to wrap this up on a on a like a low note, but I want to have like a marriage episode one of these times. <laughs> no, they said mm-hmm. no newlywed games, man. That was their one deal. Uh, here's one thing I've Weird learned: being, being married, listening to other married couples 
debate things that you kind of feel like, oh, I, we just do this on our own is so healthy for a marriage. I think like there've been times when Heidi and I have fought and we, we, we'd go to like a Bible study together and we'd fight on the way there and then we'd get there and we'd have to put on a good face. And then someone else would say, Hey, we just had this fight at our house. And we're like, me too. Like mm-hmm. understanding that other people have conflicts. I, I love that. Well, part. for me, That's it just shows strengthens me. Strengthens marriage. You can have a marriage and disagree about a lot of stuff. It does, right? Because <laughs> these are two, oh, wow. two of our favorite people here. Yes. So. Well, well, clearly, you can disagree when you're married. <laughs> and, and honestly, I mean, I think you know, people people talk about you know, when you, you just talk about society in general. People talk about you know, oh, everything's everyone's so separated and stuff like that. And I think people look at society and they think, oh, it's because there's too much debate. But but I would argue, people. I mean, when when you argue with your wife. Hopefully, you're listening to what she has to say. You're trying to understand her point of view. You're, you trying, know, you're trying to be empathetic, <laughs> her, I guess. sympathetic and empathetic, and you're trying to hear what she has to say, and then you're trying to give your point of view. People don't do that in society. You know, if, if I'm Republican, I go home and I watch Fox News. I hear people tell me what I want to hear. I hear people. All your friends are Republicans. I, I, the feed on my Facebook you know, he's not validates, married to a validates my beliefs and things like that. So it's, you know, it's in the good old days when there were five TV channels and stuff like that. You just, you just got the news. You didn't get, you know, a specific slant on the news. You didn't get a specific, you know, selection of stories and stuff like that. So I think, you know, if you can have healthy debates, if you can, if you can be exposed to people that have differing viewpoints and differing experiences and stuff, I think that's how you grow. That's how you experience things that you never experienced before and go, wow, I, Never imagined you that two, that point of view and stuff like that. You two are growing. <laughs> you you two are definitely growing a lot, a lot of the time. <laughs> well, we're always growing, and I would not say that all of our accelerated are, growing are, are healthy by any means. But <laughs> yeah, well, we definitely I, I agree with what you said, though. I mean, I, I love having conversations with people I disagree with, and a lot of times I can sharpen my own views, and a lot of times I have to consider something else you know and, and be like well maybe i was wrong on that and I, I love that ability to change or to sharpen my right my views on things. primary the basis of our friendship is that we agree mostly on nothing <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah. mostly on nothing. Well, we do agree that we like we love tracy and jordan yeah right? we do well, right. thank you guys for having us in your home thanks for talking to us we'll, we'll let you know the response of this one <laughs> All right. thanks for having us guys <laughs>